let's so today class let's breathe in come on let's i'm not hearing you breathe in welcome to the wages of cinema ladies and gentlemen <sighs> i'm breathing out and i am jack welcome back to the wages of cinema everybody uh we are currently in the last week of october um which means uh we are knee deep in some horror movies and uh you know other movies as well you know i mean it is that it's that kind of season where hollywood dishes out stuff to try to get teenagers looking to be scared but they're also ramping up their uh current awards uh season so you're seeing a big mix of like very serious dramatic movies that time of the year where hollywood suddenly goes oh wait we can actually make movies for adults and then paranormal activity the ghost dimension (laughs) <laughs> have you heard anything about that oh no it's, I, I, it's the last what, one in the I, series oh sure right uh, yeah wink you know what i'm looking at your friday the 13th vhs <laughs> the third one is called friday the 13th the final no chapter. no no that's the fourth one okay well, yeah they had three you... before the four they had friday the 13th friday the part two Friday the 13th part three was in 3d and then friday the 13th part four the final chapter you know, you would think that was the end, but then they probably saw the grosses and they're like, oh, yeah, like, you're really going to stop the series now. Yeah. Now we're going to have the a new beginning. <laughs> I Which... admire them for trying to put down the uh, Paranormal Activity series, but, you know, I mean, if it makes money, it makes money. They're going to make more. I just love that title, The Ghost Dimension. Like, when I first heard that title, I thought it wasn't a real movie, but I was wrong. But about real movies... um. Of course, you know, every time there's a new Star Wars trailer, the internet explodes. And so, in the past year, we've had three explosions. Like a supernova. A little bit. Um, Uh, So, what did you think of this trailer? Well, I thought it was... uh, I thought it was really good. I keep watching it over and over again. You know, it's funny. The first time I watched it, I I mean, I liked it, but I kind of felt like... Is there... am Am I getting a story here? I'm I not saw, sure if I, saw, I am. I saw inklings of a story, but that could have been like a Rorschach test of Star Wars. I, but there is ostensibly no plot in any of these trailers so far. And we're just going to have I, to wait I would say a though, month and a half. I would say that somebody on the internet, I think, put together all three trailers. And they say that now you can see a story. Maybe. I think I can sort of see a story in it. I mean, you basically get the sense that, okay, this uh, woman is in the desert. Probably, once again, Tatooine. You know, she's kind of like Luke Skywalker, another, you know, I'm a nobody, you know, I'm going to see my, uh, I, I want to go up into the sky, like she's looking at a ship flying away at one point, and then... I really um, like that shot in the trailer. I, I do too. I, I instantly... I, I like this, I like shots that... shots where nothing happens, but it's like you instantly get what she's thinking. You're you, getting you, motivation. Yeah. You, you know, that's, that's, I mean, Grant's... Abrams, in a way, he's more from a Spielberg school of directing than George Lucas. So, you know, he's one of those people that likes kind to watch weird, people. Considering they were both contemporary, considering that Spielberg and, and Lucas. Well, yeah, they were they were they were each other's uh, partners, basically. But um, I, I was thinking though, you know, I stopped watching the Star Wars trailer long enough to watch some other Star Wars stuff. <laughs> so I was looking at some of the, like the differences in the special edition between New Hope, A New Hope, and. The, uh, the force awakens no no no. i mean let me try again i was looking at differences between the original edition of episode four and the special edition right 
Uh, and some of them are just kind of... Yeah, I mean, some of it's just color correction. Some of it's just kind of crappy, though, like, you know, added stormtroopers and all the cluttered stuff in Moss Eisley and, you know, dewbacks in the desert. Uh, completely unnecessary stuff. I do, like, there is one... I can actually... I mean, it's funny, because when I think about, are there any additions that I kind of like... And, that's and I I'm like a couple. I are... like a couple of them. I like on uh in empire strikes back in the special edition when luke is trapped in the you know, i never uh, saw the special edition of empire strikes back oh really yeah I could, I could that was the one you. special edition i never saw but in the new hope the thing that really caught my attention as being uh, as being better were the dog fights between the, the fighters in the in the last battle scene but did they? I felt like they now, didn't do that much improvement. They with did a those. lot better stuff with you know showing the. Fighters did they just do wide shots back and forth? Like what? I don't wide remember shots of the fighters moving. See, see, I thought those were one of the few things Lucas didn't touch. I thought that, with no, the exception are... of I, with the exception of like a wide shot showing the X wings coming up to the Death Star, I thought that he kept most of the action that was in the original no, version. No, a lot of it is different. Uh, oh, and they're really interesting. good. Yeah. But, uh, I guess you don't really notice it because you know, if you uh, if you you only notice it if you're watching the scenes back to back. You can really tell that there's I a gotcha. marked marked difference uh, between the special edition stuff and the uh, and the old one. Uh, it doesn't does it does it make the movie ten percent better? No, but no. I mean, there's nothing in the special editions that particularly makes them better. If anything, no. it's either stuff that's just there. Or it's stuff that has completely made fan. I mean, in a weird way, I think fans out there have actually been more angered by the special editions than, like, even the prequels because of the fact yeah, that Lucas I... because Lucas doesn't allow any of the original versions available to fans. That's why I have the uh, the 1990s VHS release. I I do as well. Widescreen. Uh, so I mean, I that's that's one of well, my VHS treasures that I hold on to. It's a reason me for too. me to keep owning a VCR. Me too. Uh, um, so... but uh, I was about to say a couple of editions I liked though were in Empire Strikes Back. So there's an extra. They, he adds just a little bit to when the Tauntaun has captured Luke and he's hanging upside down. The and Wampa. He's Tauntaun. Yeah, Tauntaun the Wampa. Tauntaun is the thing that they ride. I know, yeah. Open they're, they're the same. They're, they're both Hoth monsters. Anyway, um... <laughs> but here's the thing. But they added a little bit extra with the Wampa and uh, a little bit of editing back and forth that actually heightened the tension a little bit. Yeah. Um, in that little moment, but again, the problem was just unnecessary tinkering. Yeah, I mean, in the end, like, uh, it was unnecessary. But I will, I do have to admit that there are some things that are better in the special edition. Like what else? I told you what that what it was. It was the fighters. Those Aside from the fighters. Uh, well, not everything. <laughs> thing. You there thought of one thing. Yes, I yeah, actually that there's one thing that's better. You know what's actually something I do also like in the special edition of Return of the Jedi at the end? Um, he added, Lucas added some extra shots of other, other nations planets. celebrating the yeah, uh, destruction I, I of the Death Star. I kind of like that. That yeah, does sort of bring, if there were only going to be six Star Wars episodes, it's like, oh, yay, we're having some celebration here. Um, so... Yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. I don't Can know what else to say. Yeah, I mean, Star Wars? 
Like, All there's right. part of me, like, remember how we, sometimes we talk about, like, Transformers, how, like, we know, the trans- yes. we know the Transformers movies suck, but people who just like Transformers or loved it from their childhood are probably just going to go back and watch it. Sure. So, I find, if, like, when I think about Star Wars, I feel kind of torn, because we've had three lackluster Star Wars films, to say the least. Yeah. And I, think and I feel yeah. like, you know... <laughs> You, you don't you don't want to build up your hopes, you, uh, and you want to be smart. Anybody about can it. make a great trailer too. That's yeah, the thing that, that a lot of people wanna forget. Be, you don't. JJ Abrams is a master of. Um, it, it's kind of dubbed the mystery box. Um, yeah. Now sometimes this has worked better than others. Now I mean, when he did his show Lost, he super relied on the mystery box as a producer to try to draw in audiences, whereas Star Star Trek Into Darkness. Oh, who's this new guy? Who's this new villain? It's Khan. We know it's Khan. Tell us already that it's Khan. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I'm watching the story to, to, to wrap it up. Like I I've seen the Force Awakens trailer now a few more times, and uh, each time I watch it, I'm a little more impressed. I think just uh, visually speaking, it looks really good. It looks like there's a lot of detail that, again, obviously he's using CGI like Lucas. Yeah. But it feels like there's a little bit more weight to it. Like, he's actually not filming it all in front of a green screen. Like, he's actually there on location for some of it. And, well, see, uh, see, even in the little time that there's been between, like, the Star Wars prequels and... Even, and CGI's gotten better, yeah, to be I, fair. CGI's... To be fair to Lucas, even when he was doing his cutting-edge technology on those films, it was still, like, it's a dated cutting-edge technology. Yeah. Which, I, it's it's weird that like in updating Star Wars in in this in the special editions that it now looks dated. There, I mean, there are a couple of things that when you watch the the Star Wars movies, whether they're the originals or the special editions, there are some things that he just couldn't, you know, make any different. But that's almost part of the charm. I mean, when Luke is fighting the the Rancor, you know, you can kind of tell when he's fighting it when the monster you see like the monster kind of move in the foreground and you see the line where eh. they're not on the same set. But that's, I kind of like that. I like knowing that I, that's like old fashioned Ray Harryhausen special effects. Well, All right. So I don't know. It, the trailer got me to buy some toys. So really it did its job. Yeah. Did you buy a BB eight? No, I did not. I Cause bought... that thing is expensive. I no. heard that thing's what, like 150 bucks. No, I, right. I bought I bought some Tie Fighters and a, and a new X Wing, little oh, okay. little things like three inches long. Wait, uh, so Tie Fighters from the new movie? Yeah. Or no, are they that much different than they have? they the the colors are swapped. Oh, all right. Well, if, ooh, you know movie. what a Tie Fighter looks like. I know what a Tie Fighter looks like. That's why I'm asking if like, why would you buy one that's new if you could buy one because that's older? A, because it looks and, a little different. <laughs> See, it's completely irrational. No, right. no, no. If now we let's had, get if to we work. Had, if we had our buddy Matt Catania here, he would, uh, yeah, he, he'd be very finicky. All right, let's get into some movies. All right, two-minute movie mile. Jack obviously goes first, so if you're ready, ready, set, go. Crimson Peak. All right, I wanted to see this. Yeah, you could still see it. It's still playing in theaters. You should see it because, first of all, it's a Guillermo del Toro movie. Seeing it on the big screen means that you get to take in so many great, luxurious sights. Um, one of the things about this movie, um, now I could go into the plot, but, but that's kind of, 
I mean, the plot is kind of a, you know, a very tawdry melodrama. That's the thing that might confuse some people going in because the movie's been heavily marketed as this supernatural thriller. And it has those moments, but it feels like the ghosts are almost, they're not super intricately needed for the plot. Like they are there and they're related to, and you know, the main character sees them, but it's really more about this kind of weird incestuous love triangle. Um, but I wanted to talk about is the place that is in the movie. You know, when you watch the trailer, they go up to this big house, you know, where most of the movie takes place. It's this place called Allerdale Hall. And it is one of the best places I've ever seen in a movie. It is extraordinary. Mm. It is just great because what happened, like he's the way it's designed, um, you know, part of the roof isn't completely you know, closed in and it's snowing all the time. So when they're walking into the, the main part of the house, snow is constantly falling in the middle. So as they're climbing up the stairs, you see snow in the background and, Oh God, it's so gorgeous. Um, so it looks really awesome. It looks awesome. And, uh, I like this movie a lot. I think that it's, uh, you should know what you're getting into. Uh, one thing about this movie, uh, Guillermo del Toro seems to really love, nasty violence in bathrooms if you've seen pan's labyrinth you'll know what i'm talking about uh also people getting stabbed in the face uh in very gratuitous ways so if you like your violence and you like your gothic uh romance horror go see it time yeah i can talk about it even more hopefully um okay so one two three go all right uh the exterminating angel oh boy have you ever seen this no well i yeah, I have seen it. That's why I'm talking about it. Not, okay. I've never seen it before this. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, that, that's why I meant to say this is your second time. All right. A bunch of upper-class dinner guests go they, to a party, and they can't realize leave. that they cannot leave the party mm. for an unknown reason. Yes. Buñuel never gives the reason why. It's and, just one of those one of those things. Of course, it's Buñuel talking, like, you know, satirizing middle class well bourgeoisie. not even middle class it seemed more like upper class bourgeoisie the, yeah but these aren't like super upper class these are like uh upper middle class but that's I not guess. the point point. and it's you know it's it's middle class stuff and uh the, an absurd situation but it takes on this really serious tone as they're stuck in there and they're trying desperately to get food and water yeah it it's... becomes a weird kind of bottle movie where these people are trying to survive inside of just a house and they yeah. can't leave this one room so on one hand it's super absurd and kind of funny but then it's also deadly serious and then at one point there's a flock of sheep uh, yeah just a few sheep that come in because <laughs> why not but... um uh, <laughs> this is funny because this is like the only film that Buñuel made in Mexico that he had complete final cut over. And it's funny because he later said that he actually had problems with the movie, like for some reason, but I, I thought it came out beautifully. It's a savage movie. I really movie. love how it opens though, because even before the, the weirdness starts, all the servants are like, I, we, I gotta get out of here. We gotta leave <laughs> this place. And there's a real urgency. And there's like, they don't know why they have to leave, but, but one by one, these servants all sneak off before the party begins. Yeah. And, and of course they're the thing like thwarted lovers. And there's this weird thing where lines just get repeated. I gotta watch this again to see what's going on, but still, uh, I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, yeah, he. Uh, it's it's also like discrete term of the bourgeoisie. Well, that don't movie... talk too much. Oh. <laughs> All okay. right. So go. 
when Marnie was there, this is the Studio Ghibli film. It's not only Studio Ghibli. It's a, it's not. It might be their last movie. Yeah. If if unless if more filmmakers start making features there, which you know who knows if that'll well, happen. Well, Studio Ghibli's in a weird spot because most of their the people who are Miyazaki new, and Takahata are probably retiring. And the reason that's bad is because they were the star power that brought people to see Ghibli films. Yeah, they now made most gone, of them. They're gone. People are real. It's it's really yeah. kind of hard to justify going yeah. to one. Yeah. Well, the director of this movie wasn't either of those people. It was uh, I don't have his name in front of me, but he also made a movie called The Secret World of Arietti, yeah. which was an adaptation of The Borrowers. This movie, um, what I would say about this one, uh, it's set a little bit more in a realistic world. It's about this girl who is. Uh, she has kind of like sort of a health issue with asthma, so her so her foster parents send her away for the summer to stay with some relatives, and she starts seeing this other little girl who lives in this mansion across like the water, um, which but, has a hole in the roof and snow keeps falling. Not through. not that movie. Um, well, I would say though this movie is really sad. It oh, had it's like I and. I, it almost was Wait, a little is it too like much. Grave of the Fireflies sad or Um it tries to get there. I would say though it doesn't have the same emotional resonance for me. Huh. Um it like cuz near the end there's kind of a reveal about who this girl really is at this mansion and it kind of sucks some of the mystery out of the movie for me. Uh but of course look it's Studio Ghibli gorgeously animated. There's a lot of nuance like with Grave of the Fireflies there are times where you could feel like the movie's taking a pause to build up uh, or to kind of make a sort of dramatic point. Um, and, uh, oh, if you watch the English dub, John C. Riley does a voice, which cool. is kind of cool. Time. Yeah. Uh, now, my, my, one, my one word review of that movie, sad. <laughs> I have so much more to say about that, but whatever. That's the point of this uh, segment. All right, go. Viridiana. Luis Buñuel again. Yeah, where um, Viridiana is. This is where it's not as. In some ways, it's not as surreal. But it, in the it, last half, it has. No, oh my god! It has nothing really absurd about it, and it has nothing really. Well, uh, until until you it. get to the climax. Yeah, but it's all within the realm of possibility. There's no, no, there's no strange room no, people can well, leave, and there's no. Uh, uh, and there's no weird stories out of nowhere. But uh, it's about a uh, woman who's about to become a nun. But before she does, she visits her uncle. Uh, Fernando Ray. Estate. Yeah, Fernando Ray. The, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the star <laughs> of Greenwell movies. And uh, he's in love with her. And he tries to sleep with her. Yeah. But before he could do that, he dies. And oh, she yeah, inherits yeah. his property. And she opens up a shelter for... Poor people, uh -huh. which goes horribly wrong. Yeah, well, the thing how that... can it go horribly wrong? It oh, it goes. You will oh. Let it, me put it it's... this way: uh, the Last Supper may be involved. Yes, <laughs> that's the that's one of the images I took away from this movie. Well, yeah, that's 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 the defining image of the film, and it's 
<laughs> it, it's in a way it's I, th- I feel like it's his most acidic film well the thing is is that i mean again you have this woman who's there she wants to take care of the poor and the sick and then the climax oh, but, but is but that every, he, the but, poor take over the house but everyone looks at her like she has all these good intentions but everybody like the people in the village and even the poor people look at her like kind of askance like what, what's this lady's deal <laughs> yeah are you sure you want to be this generous person are, yeah <laughs> It's it's just weird how everybody is suspicious of her. It's a in a lot of ways it's a very funny movie even and, though it's dramatic. Yeah. Okay, time. Yeah. Uh, I see you you were able to kind of fulfill your uh your promise from your last uh from the last podcast. Well, most, for the most part I didn't do Phantom of Liberty yet. Ah, uh, if you need to borrow that by the way, I have a copy. Oh, I I've got a copy coming in. Okay, right. so one 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 quick second here. Okay. Go. All right, I'm ready. Uh, go yeah sorry yeah all right uh the double life of veronique um now this comes to us from the director christoph kieslowski i hope i'm pronouncing it right he directed blue okay directed the colors trilogy uh this is actually his kind of breakthrough into the kind of art foreign film world um at times this movie was kind of a confounding experience uh but it is still a a, a tremendous uh, artistic what's it about achievement um it's a story of two women and it, it, in a way it's it's kind of its chief mystery is what it's all about because um it's about these two women who are living different lives one is in poland and one is in france uh the first half hour you're following this polish one who her, her name is Weronique, it's like with a w and she's the singer who uh, in like a co- in a choir um in a big orchestral choir and she keeps having like kind of health problems and then the rest of the movie follows the french woman veronique um now uh this woman is played by the same actress um and so you almost get the sense okay is are were they were they two big they're basically they're two babies born the same day in different countries uh and they grew up to be beautiful young women and they you know this woman who plays her irene jacob is like astonishingly beautiful like on the on the dvd cover i thought it was ingrid bergman for a second um i i should make a mention of the music in the movie is very uh you know you might almost think it's flippant or artsy how music is used in the movie but uh singing when veronique sings she becomes really vulnerable and you see her in that moment. Then well, Ver- the- Veronique, the French woman, is a sing- is a music teacher for a school, but she doesn't take it that seriously. But um, then there's a puppeteer involved, and oh god, I can't talk about this in two minutes. Go read my review. Time. <laughs> That's what I should do from now on. If you want, just- read my review. Uh, for for the next <laughs> two minute movie mile, Jack is just gonna plug his reviews on on the internet. Go visit Jack's uh, reviews, where you can find them on the internet, yes. which is in the place he's about to tell you. On IMDb and the Sanitarium. All right, that's all right. All right, all right ready? Go. Ah, uh, Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. Ah, uh, one of my favorite. Movies. I've seen this before. Okay, so I you need to. So you need to re. Uh, but revisit. I didn't remember too much of it. I knew the plot. It's basically a whole bunch of uh, upper middle class people trying to meet and have a meal. Yeah, and well, it's always well, being thwarted. Well, it's well, it has that same sort of thing like uh, exterminating angel, where you have a group of upper middle class people who, you know, something about the the ritual of the meal, you know, yeah. gets thwarted through some way that 
that Buñuel doesn't <laughs> explain, which is what was great, which through, is great about it. Through really easy ways, like, oh, we didn't expect you to come tonight. Oh, let's go to this restaurant. And then, like, an absurd thing's happened. But, <laughs> and, well, there are also times where they're about to eat and then, like, an army troop comes into the house. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and there's a lot of absurd dialogue that happens. And it's a lot closer to Lajdor. Then uh, maybe I could see any of his because Lajdor is all about this person moving through middle class society and trying to consummate his love with this one person. It's always thwarted. Like that that's something that comes through Buñuel, all of Buñuel's films. Like yeah. thwarted desire. People oh, interrupted yeah. before they have sex. And in this case it's thwarted des- desire for food. Being, yeah, for for food. Or there and, and which, also the, how which is, which is a lot of times conflated with sexual acts as mm-hmm. well. And also how dreams work into it. I mean, this is the movie where, you know, there's a dream within a dream. <laughs> and I feel like sometimes like Buñuel, like towards the end of the movie, I feel I felt like Buñuel's like trying to look for a way out. <laughs> like, all right. Yeah. How are we, how are we going to end this? How well, about- how about we just have like cockroaches falling out of piano? I really love. I've always thought a lot about the scene where the guy tells the story uh, to the women in the restaurant. Yes, about about, about his father and yeah, and how he killed. Yeah, the ghost kills her. I love that so much. Time. Uh, yeah. One so much my, fun. I need to revisit that because that I put that and like sometimes that creeps into my top ten of all time. I yeah. I, well, I still like Belle de Jour a lot better. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. All, all right. right. Your turn. Okay. Go. Um, the name of the rose. Uh, right. You watched this so you could have information with to talk about with Matt Catania. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was also By the way, curious to watch to it. Matt Catania's uh, uh, no, 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 no. I have to review a movie. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. This. Um, so this movie has Sean Connery and Christian Slater. Oh, and F. Murray Abraham. F. Murray Abraham comes in. I love um, that guy. Yeah. Well, in this movie, all right. So what happens is F. Um, Connery and Slater come to this abbey. And they're they're initially going to find out about some kind of uh, mystery that happened, and people just keep dying. Um, and you know, Connery he plays uh, William of Bas- Baskerville, and he tries to use his intellect. He tries to kind of use reason for things, and he's even he even brings up a quote from it's either Aristotle or Sophocles, one of those Greek guys. It's probably Aristotle, and. It turns out that there's this hidden book, and it, a lot of these murders seem to be probably happening because of this one book, and also this kind of secret library that Connery and Slater, their characters, are not allowed in. Um, Abraham plays the uh, this basically this inquisitor who comes in halfway through the movie, and oh man, he's villainous. Abraham does yeah the there are a lot of good cast members as ron perlman uh plays a hunchback nice um he the he part he was born to play <laughs> pretty much um there are a couple of interesting little tr- tidbits though that were hard to get out of my mind here oh, by the way connery is great in the movie he's a reason to see it it might be one of people, his best performances I think, I think people underestimate sean connery in this movie i mean you know he he's charming but he's also genuinely wise he, uh, it felt like a bit, maybe a bit of a precursor to The Untouchables, the way that he had that relationship with Kevin Costner movie. Mm. Uh, what else to say about it? It's a very good movie that will challenge Die. your brain. Brain. Pinky in the brain. All right. So, um, ready, Andrew? Yes. Go. That obscure object of desire. Yeah, so you were on a Buñuel kick this uh, week. Yeah, you got to take 
Strike while the iron's hot. Yeah, I've I haven't seen this in a while. I I remember liking this a lot, although it is to say the least sometimes confusing. <laughs> I I never was confused by it. What I found interesting. Well, here here's the plot. Uh, Fernando Ray, our old friend, he he plays the uh a man named something I forget. He plays yeah. a man who falls in love with the, with his uh, maid. Uh, his name is Matthew, by the way. Uh, he, he falls in love with his maid. He tries to seduce her, but she doesn't uh, mm-hmm. put out. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And it's Kim constantly trying to seduce her, but she's played in the movie by two different women. Yeah, and exactly. It's very interesting to note the differences between the two. It's not uh, both these women they're, act they're differently. Subtle. They're subtle. They act differently though. But it's not like one's a slut and one is a good girl. It's like, uh. They're like two different flavors of the same thing. They're both like they're both avoidant of him. Yeah, and, and one is very French. Yeah, it seems, but the other is very Spanish. It's it's interesting to note that the movie Buñuel wrote it initially for one actress. Like she actually right. like he didn't. It wasn't one of those things where he planned to do it that way. And originally, um, the actress who was going to play the character was Maria Schneider from Last Tango in Paris. Uh. And I think that. Because of the nudity, she was kind of tired of, like, she didn't want to be typecast anymore. You know, forget the fact, oh, I get to work with Louis Buñuel. Screw that. So at the last minute, Buñuel, like, went to the producer and was like, well, I could just use two actresses. (laughs) I'm not making it more complicated for myself as it is. Um, any other, what other thoughts do you have? Oh, I don't know. Uh, it's... Do you think it's funny? I think... The scene where he pours the bucket of water on her is funny. I didn't find it very funny, but I did find it very interesting. Uh, just to see the differences between the two performances. Time. Okay. Uh, All right, your turn. Good for you. Ready, set, go. Um, The Walk. Uh, this is the new Robert Zemeckis movie. Uh, hopefully, I don't know if it might be out of theaters by now. Hopefully, it's in a few. Um, all right. So here's the thing about this movie. So have you ever heard of the documentary Man on Wire? Yes. All right. Well, this is the dramatization of that. You know, it's the story of Philippe Petit. Help him get that name right, and how he saw one day in France uh, in a newspaper that they were building the World Trade Center, and he decided, I am going to go to the World Trade Center, and I am going to walk on my wire from across the two buildings, and that was his dream, and you watch in the movie as he accomplishes it. Um, so inherently, it's you know a fantastic story to tell because it involves a heist plot. You know, because in a, in, a, in a manner of speaking, because he has to get together his, you know, a group of people. He actually calls them in the movie accomplices. And that's one of the funny things. He keeps calling them, you will be my accomplice. You will help me to get my dream. And, um, you know, he's very French, by the way. Very kind of obnoxious at times. Uh, but jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt, very charming actor. He makes the movie worthwhile for that. Um and of course, you know, watching the the big set pieces. Of course, watching him walk across the two towers, even if you know it's CGI, uh, it's it's still breathtaking. In in 3D, this was like my one 3D movie of the year, and it was mm-hmm. worth it. My biggest problem, though, what? unnecessary narration. Oh, because oh. Joseph Gordon-Levitt narrates everything in this movie, and like they have a narrative device where he's standing at the top of the Statue of Liberty and he's talking to the audience. He's like, "I was up on the wire and I was feeling exhilarated," and I'm like, "Oh, shut the fuck up!" <laughs> and oh god, he he ruined what that ruined what could have been a great movie, but it's still worth watching. 
time. All right. Okay, last movie for me. Uh, I fought in your general direction. You kidding niggas. All right. Ready and go. Okay, last one. Single white female. Okay. Have you uh, heard of this movie? Well, uh, Corey has told me that this is basically the movie from which a, a million Lifetime movies have come up. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. I've probably uh, what, seen rip-off movies and talked about them on the podcast. It's uh, It stars uh, Bridget Fonda as Allie and Jennifer Jason Lee as Hedra. Yeah. Two, these two women. Uh, Allie is looking for a roommate. Yeah. Uh, uh, Gen- uh, Hedra moves in, and yeah. she, we realize, yeah, she's crazy. A lot of horror films, I realize now. Like, when we think about horror settings, we might think of, like, oh, the summer camp or the uh, or, or the old haunted old giant house. Yeah. But there's also another sub- subset of horror, I realize now, the apartment. Hmm. It's, it's in films like The Tenant and Rosemary's Baby and, uh, well, this one and Pacific Heights, I guess we yeah. can count. Sure. Uh, there, there are a lot more films now that I think about it of you know that take place in apartment buildings, which are awful. Apparently, yeah. something about renting that that just scares people. So, but, but is that uh, that central to it? Because I thought the movie was more about head games. It it is about head games in a way. Uh, okay. Uh, is it, it like so? Bridget Fonda is the one being kind of stalked, right? No, she's. she's she the yeah, stalker. She's, no, she's being stalked. You're oh, right. okay. I got yeah, them yeah. mixed up for a few All right. Days. So what about, like, is it at all interesting or is it just kind of trashy? It kind of gets interesting because it, it, this could have gone, gone several ways. You could have gone the horror route, which mm-hmm. is good. Uh, you know, just this horror of dealing with this person who is obviously not, uh, who is obviously not sane. But then yeah. there's, but then in some ways it seems like a drama where it's like working between these three people and trying to work out their lives, and it somehow it strides that until certain people die, and then it turns into a full horror film. It doesn't quite go all the way. Okay, well, someday I'll check it out. I, as a side note, I have seen at the same time that Single White Female came out, there was another movie called The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Yeah, you ever heard of that? That movie is kind of a similar thing. The one difference is that uh, in that movie, Ernie Hudson plays the—I have no way other say, way of saying this—the retarded groundskeeper. <laughs> and it's just such a weird sight to see Ernie Hudson playing that role, but he puts his all into it. Mm. So I gotta give it to him that way. All right, so I guess I have a marathon to go on now. All or? right, let's marathon it. All righty, boy, I'm go. putting on my shoes. Roger Waters, The Wall. Okay. So you have a look on your face. Did you know this was a thing? No. All right. So he, Roger Waters, uh, you know, in the past few years, he's been putting on the wall uh, live in right. concert. Um, so he went ahead. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant John Waters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This is such an amazing thing that I got going on here. This wall that people are putting up on stage. No, no. Uh, so I don't know if you're familiar with how the wall was has been performed yeah, ever it's, since it's ever since 1980 with, with very with large with a with giant wall well yeah as as the show is being performed the first half of the show they're slowly building a brick wall between the band and the audience right. on stage and by the end of the first half there's a brick wall completely covering then the second half of the show they are still performing sometimes roger waters will kind of appear like in front of the audience uh, in front of the brick wall or the guitar like during comfortably numb 
uh, the guitarist will be like on top of the wall yeah. doing his part. Um, of course, this time they have a singer and guitarist. So what this movie is is you know a so live is, concert, a concert of film? of the wall. It's a concert movie. It's also a documentary in some part. Um, and it's it's man. It, Talk about like Roger Waters is kind of like the Batman of of rock stars because newsflash, well, his father is dead, and that's what this whole that's what the wall could be yeah, called. That's, that's My father is, is dead. Like if you're familiar with the album or if you've seen the actual yeah, wall his movie. father died in the war. And he's haunted by that. Now, the wall itself is about other things too. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's about, about alienation, rock. Yeah, it's, it's about, about ego. It's yeah. about alienation. But yeah, the, the documentary portion is basically him going to see his father's his beachfront in Anzio. So it felt very Batman. Time. Yeah. But it's worth next. Checking out. Go. All right. Uh, something evil. Uh, this was a find. I I I don't know why I decided to watch this, but. This is uh, one of the only movies that Steven Spielberg made for television. Now, you Wait always think is about... It, now, it's Duel not Duel. For television? It was made for TV, but after he made Duel, and before he started making feature films, he was still working in TV. And he made this little horror movie, which um, stars the actress Sandy Dennis and... Uh, oh, oh, Darren McGavin is uh, the husband. They're this little family that move into a farmhouse... And in a way, it feels a little bit like a precursor to to Poltergeist. Hmm. Um, now he didn't write it, um, but instead of ghosts, it involves uh, Satan, uh, and Satan just seems to be one of those things that will come into your when, farmhouse. When you can't get one, the other fills in. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, ghosts are like substitute Satan. I'll say that if you can, if you want to check this out, it's on YouTube. Uh, the script is mediocre. It has ca kind of stock characters, and uh, Darren McGavin is able to deliver some good lines. I feel like with Spielberg, you know, he so is, I, he's underrated with actors, so he's able to get some believable stuff, even when they have to say, you know, super cliched things. And he directs the hell out of it. Like, this is one of those handful of times I could think of where direction actually helped to elevate the material a little bit. Were you about to ask him? No. Okay, it looked like you were about to ask me something, and you were lost. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, again, it's early 70s TV, and this is when Spielberg, I think, was still finding his voice. So there are times where he'll keep on a shot for a while, which is kind of what we're used to with Spielberg. There are other times where he'll have lots of jagged cuts, and it gets a little intense, um, especially when like the mother is starting to get influenced by Satan, and at one point she attacks her son. That's a little bit of a freaky scene. Time. It's not bad. All right. Next, go. Uh, I watched Children of the Damned. Oh, you did. I, I went ahead and watched that. Now, I know we're going to talk about Village of the Damned later. I can still talk about Children of the Damned, though, out of context of that for a moment. Sure. So, so watching this movie, so you haven't seen this. No. Here's my issue with this. It, as a sequel... It, it has problems because it doesn't really acknowledge that it's a sequel. It almost so acts like, like a standalone movie. It's pretending like the first movie never happened. Or... Yeah, like, you know, because it doesn't really acknowledge things that you would have thought would have been big deals from the first movie. And this one also, so the kids are just, what happens is they're different. It's set in London and it's different kids from different embassies. So you have a British kid, but you also have a kid from Africa, 
you have a Chinese kid, you have a Russian kid, you have a Rush, you have all these different kids that come together as the, you know, the damned. Right. Um, you know, and they, I guess in a way that that wasn't as big a problem for me, except that they still kept the same thing that the kids do. The kids can control people with their minds and, you know, draw, make them, you know, kill each other or kill themselves. Right. Um, I thought, like, in the last half hour, it starts to get kind of better. Like, it, t- it feels like there's a lot of time where the movie's dragging its feet a little bit. Um, and then the last half hour, it's like they cram a lot of stuff into the movie. Huh. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about this one. It It's not b- badly made. Uh, it has some good stuff about it. I just wish that it had been a little stronger on the front of... Any stars to mention? Uh, there's this guy named Ian Hendry. He was in Repulsion and a couple of things. It's a very low-budget movie. Time. Yeah. No George Sanders. Okay. okay. Let's continue on. I have three more. All right. Go. Dead Silence. Uh, this was a movie that um, I'd heard about. It came out in 2007 from James Wan uh, from... Uh, you know the saw and conjuring fame i i avoided it when it came out because i hated james Wan for a while because of saw um but now because of the conjuring and i'm kind of interested in his work i went back on netflix and watched this um so i don't know how if creepy dolls are at all like ventriloquist dummies are scary i'm not sure if they are that much like at least in a feature film i feel like they're so cliche that they've lost their impact like the thing is, I, I I was sort of thinking about this when I was writing my review. Literally, as I was writing it, it flashed into my my brain that Are You Afraid of the Dark years ago did <laughs> like an episode, and also I mean, in the opening credits, there's the the ventriloquist dummy too. Yeah, I mean, for God's sake, like they were Goosebumps books about this. Yeah, so they put a but lot. I do into... have to say, dolls are a little scary. I remember my grandfather's house. There was an old doll that was in like a a, a room that nobody used. Okay, so when you went into that room for any reason yeah. that doll was there like it was kind of a child-sized doll yeah that kind of made you uneasy hmm. there's something weird about dolls and dummies yeah i mean i um with this movie you know again it's like uh the doll there's a whole history with this doll and also a lot of other dolls in this small town and uh, an old rhyme involving uh mary sue i think it is or something mary something and uh, there's some good atmosphere, but god damn it if it wasn't uh, still James Wan in kind of saw mode because there's a twist. And we uh... were the dummies the whole time. <laughs> that would have been better off. Um, so it wasn't completely terrible, but it was just mostly kind of me- like not that strong of a movie. It was just kind of there. Time. Yep. Next. All right. Go. Bucket of Blood. All right. So, by this title, you might think that this sounds like a very gory movie. Maybe almost like a Jallo or something. But, no. On the contrary, this is uh, a Roger Corman movie. But not, but one of his best, by far. Like, one of his very best. The thing about this movie is that it is more of a... It's a vicious satire on artists. And, like, the art world, and also pretentious hipsters. Now, this is set in the world of beatniks, and what happens is, uh... Um, Movies are... I, I would never expect a, a good portrayal of beatniks from a Roger Well, Corman no, film. this is really funny. Like, the thing is, all right, Dick Miller. 
you might remember from he was in the two Gremlins movies. He was a staple of Corman movies. All right. He stars as this busboy and he works at this coffee shop. He's this little wormy guy who is constantly seeing all these artists get up on stage and recite, you know, rambling poetry. And he wants to be an artist too, and he tries to do sculpt things. One night he accidentally for you know, to long story short, he stabs his cat through a wall. <laughs> And when he gets the cat out, he decides, you know what? I'm just going to put clay around this thing and make it my art piece. And people love it <laughs> because he just says, you know, they ask him, what's the name of it? It's like dead cat. And, and of course, starting from this, he starts to use dead bodies as, you know, that he kills. Um, it sounds a bit like Little Shop of Horrors. It's it's better than Little Shop of Horrors for me. I think part of it's because I like Dick Miller a lot in this movie. And I just feel like the aim of it is a little bit clever because of the world it's set in. Like, you could remake this very easily and set it in the world of hipsters in Brooklyn. Like, I would put this on a double feature with Scott Pilgrim. It's that <laughs> funny. I was cracking up through this whole thing. I would recommend it highly if you want to have a great laugh at some Time. really dark comedy. All right. Last one. Ready. And I watched this one today. Set. Go. Uh, Baghead. Um, not Baggin. Not Bag End. Uh, Baghead. Right. Bag right. End isn't a movie. No, that's <laughs> that's a place. Um, this is uh, you know, you know what Mumblecore is? Does that name sound familiar at all? Yeah. I've Mumblecore heard that. is the type of film. It's I guess I don't know <sighs> if people still make it, but. Uh, you know, it used to be about five or six years Mumblecore ago. Mumblecore sounds like a hipster band that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically these were or super like a low budget genre movies. Of music. Yeah, well, it's a well, it's kind of a type of movie where you know actors and filmmakers would get together, you know, super low budget, maybe just make a movie for like a couple grand, and they wouldn't have uh, we that only have coherent a couple script. Grand. Might as well make a movie with it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, this comes from the Duplass brothers. They've actually moved on and made you know slightly more bigger independent movies. Uh, but this movie is about these four struggling uh, indie film actors and they can't seem to break through. So they decide, all right, let's go to this cabin in the woods for this weekend and we'll write ourselves a movie. Uh, but while they're there, surprise, surprise, they, you know, somebody with a bag over their head seems to be stalking them or are they? Uh, so yeah, well, it's really more about these characters and that's something I really appreciated. And I, I, I would recommend I, I actually like this quite a bit just based on how the subversion of it was addressing how a lot of, you know, Cabin in the Woods type movies and this predates the Cabin in the Woods movie. Yeah. But, you know, give us good characters and maybe we can care about if they're getting chased by a guy with a knife. That's part of what I liked about it. It's more of a romantic comedy in a way, because it's more about is this character gonna sleep with this one? Uh what's gonna happen with these two? Um, and the, and the bag part of it is addressing the horror genre element of it. And it actually has a twist that I loved. This is the opposite of a James Wan. This is actually genuinely clever. They were the dummies the whole time. Time. They were the indie dummies all along. All right. That was the two minute movie mile. Yes. Um, if, if you, you if you're interested in seeing any of these movies yourself or have seen them and want to tell us what you think, uh, you can always send us an email. Uh, we are reachable at uh, wagesofcinema at gmail.com. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook at the Wages of Cinema podcast. Leave us a comment. Send us a message. Um, oh, and uh, in announcement time, I should have done this earlier, we now have a Twitter. 
Yeah. I don't know if I, I maybe I should have told you that off air. No, no, you told me. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. So you can actually follow us at Wages of Cinema. Um, and, uh, you know, we post, uh, you know, like how we do on our Facebook page, all the new podcasts and uh, certain video clips that, you know, from shows that we're listening to and things that are interesting like that. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Those are our three main uh, bases of uh, podcast operation. Uh, so anything you want to add to that? Uh, please uh, uh, rate us and uh, leave a comment on iTunes. Yes. It really helps us do. to become more visible. Yes. And uh, we just love hearing from you anyway. Yeah, sure. yeah. We've actually gotten a couple of comments, too, about uh, some things here and there. Uh, so, uh, you know, that, 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 awesome, that is awesome for me. That's awesome for us. Yeah. All right, so when we return, we're going to talk about our latest list movies. Uh, are we going to continue with something horrific, or is it about the horror of society itself? Ooh, Ooh. society! Stay tuned. Yeah, children of the town, your body.